0: good morning for a road good morning for road good morning for road good morning for a good morning for road good morning for road good morning for road good morning for road welcome to our online service we really miss being able to be together sit up front making faces at Dan
1: make faces at Dan
0: make faces at Dan make faces at Dan make faces at Dan
1: make faces at Dan
0: make faces at Dan distract everybody And run around the lobby I can't wait until we are able to all be together again But until then But until then But until then Let's enjoy gathering this way Greg is going to lead us in worship And then Dan is going to talk about being blessed Happy Sunday You are not alone If you're alone afraid you're not the only we are all the same in need of mercy to be forgiven and be free it's all you got to lean on but thank god it's all you need and all the people said amen oh and all the people said amen Give thanks to the Lord for His love never ends And all the people said amen If you're rich or poor, well it don't matter Weak or strong, you know love is what we're after We're all broken but we're all in this together You you stumble and fall soul of the world he's in his son to save us all and all the people said amen and all the people said amen give thanks to the lord for his love never ends and all the people said amen blessed are the foreign spirit who were torn apart blessed Sit all the people hungry for another start For theirs is the kingdom, the kingdom of God And all the people said amen And all the people said amen Give thanks to the Lord for his love never ends And all the people said amen yeah and all the people said amen oh oh, oh, and all the people said amen give thanks to the lord for his love never ends and all the people said amen and all the people said amen
1: well hi guys Thank you for joining us once again. I hope you're hanging in there. Uh, You guys have probably seen a lot of jokes uh, dealing with different things coming out during the pandemic. I just thought I'd share a couple with you to start things off today, hopefully to give you a smile on your face. Uh, I heard about the guy who was really missing baseball, and so he was staring out the window at the birds, and uh, he, he discovered that the Cardinals were leading the Blue Jays three worms to one. And how about this one? Now, now that we have everyone washing their hands correctly, let's start working on turn signals. And then with all the, the stay-at-home orders, they're predicting a minor baby boom in about nine months. And then one day in 2033, we'll have the rise of the quarantines. Okay, you might have to think about that one for a minute. Okay, so hopefully you smiled at least once, even if it was out of pity as I try to make jokes to a camera. Uh, But let me ask you to start with, is it wrong to be happy? Is it wrong to feel a general sense of happiness in your life? And and I think that the obvious answer is no, it's not wrong to be happy. God made us with the emotions of joy and happiness, just like he he made us with many other emotions. David wrote in Psalm 68, 3, But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. But, you know, it seems that humanity has always been on this this never-ending search for happiness. and, and, And we really struggle with just truly finding it. So why is that? Why does it seem so hard to find true, lasting happiness? Could it be that we tend to look for happiness in the wrong places and in the wrong ways? If we look back in history, it seems that most cultures have looked for happiness in four similar ways. Greek philosophers said that happiness came through family. Wealth, health, and security. If you look at Hebrew culture, the Hebrew sages said that happiness comes through family, wealth, health, and security. And that really pretty much follows suit with the American dream as well. If you have a good family, and and if you have wealth, and if you have good health, and you have security, then you'll be happy. And millions of people in America today have those things, yet they're still unhappy. So why are so many people unhappy? Could it be that we're a little confused about the things that, that truly bring happiness? Could it be that we haven't really listened to Jesus and what He says about happiness? We're going to look at the first part of the most famous sermon in the Bible today. The, the whole sermon is Matthew 5-7. through 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. We're in week 18 of Core 52. And the first eight stanzas of, of that sermon are actually a poem uh, by Jesus that, that we simply refer to as the Beatitudes and, and I think what, what we're going to find as we look at the Beatitudes is that Jesus as he often did turns things upside down he gives us a, a different and better model for happiness Jesus gives us a path to happiness that is a whole lot different than family wealth health and security so let's read our passage Matthew 5 To be honest his followers had to be scratching their heads after hearing this this would have rocked their worlds and as we look at that word blessed just to think happy or fortunate jesus has given us a blueprint here for true happiness so let's take a look this morning at different ways that jesus says we can be blessed and find happiness let's look at the jesus model for happiness First, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the book of Luke, Luke gives a parallel list of the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6. But what is interesting is that in Luke's list, he just says, blessed are the poor. And I think that puts more of an emphasis on material possessions. When you add poor in spirit, it gives a whole different dimension. It's more of a mindset. Now, remember what Matthew's background was. He was a tax collector. So he probably had money, at least at one point, through, uh, through extortion of taxes from his own people for the Roman government. But sociologically, he was poor. Okay, he, he was an outcast of society. Nobody wanted to be around tax collectors except other ta- tax collectors. But here's what people couldn't understand. Jesus didn't reject them. He, he ate with them and even invited Matthew to, to be one of his closest followers and, and students. And so I think this connotates a blessing or or happiness on anyone who humbles themselves enough to put God before self. God blesses those who realize their complete dependence on him. And then it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And and we see that kingdom description all through the book of Matthew. It's all about the kingdom and being a part of the right kingdom and not the Roman kingdom. Not the broken Jewish kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven. All other kingdoms will fade away. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, if blessed was only a a surface happiness, I think it would be kind of missing the boat here. But it involves a deeper sense of joy because you're part of the kingdom of God. Um, Then this makes a lot more sense. Because those who, have, those who have mourned for a, a deep loss, you know that you, you don't feel a, a lighthearted happiness. You, you might be happy that your loved one is, is with God if they were a Christian, but, but you're struggling, and that's okay. But why is it important to mourn? Well, it cleanses you, it cleanses you to prepare you for new life without the person who died. Tears bring cleansing. And, and when you're part of the kingdom, you have God's comfort. There's a hope that, that others don't have. And I also think Jesus is referring to the mourning of sin. You know, blessed are those who truly mourn the sin in their lives, which brings about repentance, which in turn brings about happiness. And you can see how Jesus turns things upside down. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, this one actually comes from Psalm 37, 11. That says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. What does it mean to be meek? Hey, th- this is not a, a word that we use a lot today, and it kind of sounds like weak or wimpy. Um, it feels like you have to be weak and not stand up for yourself to be a Christian. But I don't think that's meekness at all. I think meekness is, is better described as a humble strength based on the Lord's strength and, and not on your own. It's a, a gentle spirit, not easily provoked. One definition I found went like this. Meekness is an attitude of humble, submissive, and expectant trust in God and in a loving, patient, and gentle attitude towards others. So meekness is a, is a quiet strength that brings happiness. And it says they will inherit the earth. What, what's that mean? I think God has blessings in store for the meek. They, they do not go unnoticed by God. They may not get a lot of worldly recognition, but God sees them. And knows them. Tom Landry, the former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, I think is a man who showed meekness during his life. He didn't say a lot, he didn't yell at the refs, and and he always had his suit on with his fedora hat, uh, but he succeeded. He took them to five Super Bowl appearances, winning two of them, and he had a quiet strength to his life. Tom told interviewers after his fifth and final Super Bowl appearance in 1979, that he believed his destiny always had been controlled by a power greater than the Cowboys' ability to win football games. As a Christian, I know my life is in God's hands. He has a plan for me. Therefore, I never worry about tomorrow or never worry about winning or losing football games. That knowledge gives me a lot of composure in tough situations. I think that's good stuff. You know, that's when I started being a Cowboys fan during the Tom Landry era and... Now I can't get them out of my system, even though I'd, I'd like to a lot of times. Uh, it's been too long since they've been to the Super Bowl. But happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so here we have a hunger for justice, a hunger for what is the right thing and doing the right thing. And, and here's the thing. I don't think you can have a true hunger and thirst for righteousness if you already consider yourself good okay the pharisees often boasted of of their righteousness they they puffed their chests out and and they wanted people to notice just how good they were luke actually speaks about this in in chapter 18 uh, verse 9 through 14 it says to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else jesus told this parable Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves shall be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you see the difference? You see, exaltation from God comes through true humility. God will fill you up. It doesn't come by elevating yourself, but by lowering yourself. And here you see again how Jesus was turning things upside down happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled number five blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy now being merciful means having an attitude of compassion and and care and and jesus would illustrate this trait in his life in ministry and he expected this from his followers to be a part of the kingdom meant to be merciful in that last passage, passage I, I read, that the tax collector said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and he was shown mercy. And it is because of God's mercy for us that we can have eternal life. So when we have an attitude of mercy, of compassion, of forgiveness, in turn, God will show us mercy. That's what kingdom people do. And that brings happiness. And most of us can handle this when the stakes aren't too high. But what if the stakes get really high as far as showing mercy? Several years ago, there was a story in the Los Angeles Times under the headlines, Couple Meet, Forgive Slayer of Daughter. The story was about a father and a mother from Dearborn, Michigan, whose 20-year-old daughter had been brutally murdered. They traveled to the prison where their daughter's convicted killer was being held. And the mother said some amazing words. She said, We love this special person from the bottom of our hearts. We harbor no hatred, no revenge. We had the normal human reaction of grief and anguish. Didn't I have the right to be filled with red hot hate? But where would it have gotten me? It wouldn't have gotten me my daughter back. God led us on this journey. Wow. It's true mercy, isn't it? It's amazing. They could have lived out their lives in bitterness, but they chose a different path. And Jesus said they will be made happy through their decision. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Notice this doesn't say blessed are the perfect hearts. It says pure in heart. And the heart is symbolic of the center of our being, the center of who we are, our mind and our will, and our emotions. And this could be called the, the beatitude of self-examination. Uh, no one else really knows except God whether we are pure in heart or not. The person with a pure heart has no ulterior motives or purposes. He, he does what he does for, for the reason that he gives. And, and he helps people just to help people not to get personal recognition. A true kingdom worker does everything out of a desire to serve and follow the true king. Jesus. In the old system of law, it seemed to be very outward, action-based. Do this or don't do this, and you'll be right with God. Follow this list of rules and commands, and and you'll be right with God. Now, I don't think God ever fully intended that to be the case. The rules and regulations were actually there to help the people. Uh, It helped define who they were and, and how to follow God. It gave them identity. But in the Beatitudes, Jesus is shedding light on this. It it is not just outward actions that matter, but but inward thoughts and motives. That's why He was so hard on the Pharisees. It, It was all about outward appearances to them. But inside their hearts were hard and calloused. Jesus said this about them in Matthew 23, 5. Everything they do is done for men to see. And that is the beginning of a discourse that is pretty scorching, to be honest. He lets them have it. In verse 28 of that same chapter, Jesus said, On the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. But here J- Jesus simply says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now I think it's interesting to note here that the connection to the Old Testament. The book of Matthew was meant to be a bridge from the Old to the New and show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah they were waiting for. And, and throughout the book, there are comparisons to the old. In fact, I, I wrote, I think this whole sermon on, on the Mount has a, a whole lot of comparisons to Moses when he went up to the mountain uh, to receive the law from God. The people weren't allowed to directly see God, and, or even Moses uh, could not directly see God. But here it says now that we can see God through jesus and it comes through a pure heart this this would have been a huge decoration to the jews to be able to have direct access to god and once again happiness comes in a very different way happy are the pure in heart for they will see god and then blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god i think this one's easy to misunderstand it's easy to hide behind this one because we say, oh, we just want peace. But notice it doesn't say blessed are those who desire peace, but blessed are those who make peace, peacemakers. Sometimes you have to take some difficult steps in order to make peace. It, it may mean confrontation. It may mean hard conversations. It might mean somebody gets mad at you because you're, you're taking the difficult steps of making peace. There's a 26-foot-high statue of Jesus that stands high in the Andes Mountains along an important pass between Argentina and Chile. He holds a cross in his left hand while raising his right hand in an appeal to travelers passing by. The statue is a symbol of peace. You see, many years ago, the two nations nearly went to war over a dispute. Armed conflict was averted when leaders of both nations recalled what Christ had done for them. This led the nations to melt down their bronze cannons and and cast from them a statue of Christ. And they inscribed these words on the base of the statue. Sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust than Argentines and Chileans break the peace to which they have pledged themselves at the feet of Christ the Redeemer. I think that's a cool story. How is God calling you to be a peacemaker at home or at work or in your family or in your community happy are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god and what an amazing thing it is to be called a child of god have you ever thought about that some of you may have not have had the greatest situation growing up maybe your your parents did didn't get along that well or or maybe your dad wasn't around or or maybe it just wasn't a very peaceful household But everyone who is part of the kingdom of God has the opportunity to be called a child of God. And that's pretty awesome, don't you think? And then finally, we have blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Talk about turning things upside down. Could happiness possibly come through persecution? And then here's our kingdom language again. Jesus knew that the time was coming when his followers would face strong persecution. He knew that he himself would be persecuted to the point of death. And Jesus is preparing the people for that time. He's saying that the kingdom of heaven is the reward for staying strong for God. In fact, verses 11 and 12 are basically follow-up verses to this last beatitude. Once again, it says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad? Really? That seems so backwards to us. But once again, happiness doesn't seem to always come in the way that we think it will come. So as we look at these things that that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes, either he's crazy or he speaks the truth. And many have struggled over the last 2,000 years to, to really accept these words of Jesus because they're not always easy. You know, some psychologists and psychiatrists actually point to the Beatitudes as proof of Jesus' imbalance, That one distinguished British psychologist, in a speech prepared for the Royal Society of Medicine, said this, "...the spirit of self-sacrifice which permeates Christianity and is so highly prized in the Christian religious life is masochism moderately indulged." "...a much stronger expression of it is to, to be found in Christ's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount." This blesses the poor, the meek, the persecuted, exhorts us not to resist evil, but to offer the other cheek to the smiter and to do good to them that hate you and and forgive men their trespasses. All this breeds masochism. So you can call it masochism if you want, or you can choose to believe Jesus and believe that he is actually holding the keys to true happiness. And just maybe, just maybe, Jesus is the answer to the question of why so many people struggle to find true happiness. I can only speak from personal experience. And I can say personally that the closer I get to Jesus, the happier I am. And the times when I begin to stray from Jesus, the more I struggle. And I'm pretty sure that many of you would echo those same words. So you can continue to search for happiness in the ways the world says to search. Or you can search for happiness through Jesus. Maybe it's time to try something new. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. And we think about Jesus and, and we think about the world and we think how the world says, okay, this is how you get happiness. This is what you need to do. And, and we see how that has failed so many times. And then we look at Jesus and the peace that can come from following this amazing man. Lord, I pray that we will take that path and realize that it's not always an easy path, but it's the right path. It's the best path. And it's the path that's going to give us true happiness. Help us to do that, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to partake in the Lord's Supper in a minute. And as we think about this idea of of Jesus turning things upside down from, from what was expected, there is no bigger way that stands out than what He allowed to happen on the cross. And when they were in the garden on the the night Jesus was arrested, Jesus made it clear how this was a a choice that he was making. A choice that was made out of love. You know, when Judas led them out there to where Jesus was, and um, listen to what happened. We'll read part of this. It's in Matthew 26 verse 51 through 53 says with that one of jesus companions reached for his sword drew it out and stuck struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear put your sword back in his place jesus said to him for all who draw the sword will die by the sword do you think i cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels You see, Jesus knew that this was the only way that the Messiah could truly save the world. This is why He was here. And He did this for you. And He did this for me because of His amazing love for us. So let's take a few moments right now to consider what an incredible sacrifice God made for us. He turned the world upside down. And so when you're ready, you can partake of the bread to, to remember his body that was beaten and the juice that represents his blood that was shed. Let's take some time right now to remember Jesus. When you're ready, you can take the bread that represents Christ's body. And in the same way, when you're ready, you can take the juice representing Christ's blood that was shed for us. Pray one more time with me. Lord, we thank You for Your incredible sacrifice that was made on the cross. We thank You for for Your willingness to go against what was expected and do what was needed. We thank You for Your love for us. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us this morning. We'd love for you to stick around. We have a couple more songs to sing, but take care and God bless.
0: In our midst, I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Sing that again. You are here. Moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this. Light in the darkness My God That is who you are You are Waymaker Miracle worker Promise keeper Light in the darkness My God That is who you are You are here Touching every heart I worship you worship you are here healing every heart worship is who you. Are. Sure. Go on and tell it to the man